Today, we'll talk about a new dynamic within right-wing politics in the United States. The media is making a big ado about the fact that young conservatives, apparently, no longer care about the so-called free market. We need a new system. We need a new society. We need to demand that which may have sounded impossible even a few weeks ago, but is not only realizable, but an imperative necessity. We are excited to have Professor Richard Wolf join us again for our regular weekly segment where we talk about the biggest stories related to the economy, the state of the working class, and the crimes of big business. I'm your host, Brian Becker. The Socialist Program brings you content three days a week thanks to the support of our patrons at patreon.com forward slash the socialist program. We appreciate all of your support and encourage you to become a patron today if you enjoy listening to this show. Richard Wolff is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work. He's the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. Be sure to check out all of his work at rdwolf.com. That's rdwolff.com. Professor Wolf, welcome back. Thank you very much, Brian. I'm very glad to be here. Thank you for joining once again. Richard, you know, at the time of the invasion of Afghanistan, the invasion of Iraq, the Bush administration announced a new set of principles for U.S. foreign policy. And one of the principles was, and this was kind of ironic, the establishment and promotion of a free market everywhere. So the U.S. was apparently going to go to war in Iraq and have drone strikes all over the world, targeted assassinations, you name it, in the name of these different principles. This was the era of the beginning of the neocon era. And the free market was a principle. And I was thinking like, wait, the market has no principles. People are buying and selling because they want to buy and sell. There's no principles. There's no values. But they elevated it to a level of sort of moral, ethical values. Really, underneath it all is an inherent anti-communism and anti-socialism or the opposition of the government stepping in and doing anything good for people. But anyway, right now, there's a big sort of controversy emerging, and some of it is generational. Some of it is basic philosophical and political differences, where parts of the right wing, especially younger right wingers, are turning away, as they say, from sort of the valued stature of the free market. What do you make of it? Well, I think it's a very serious thing, uh, mostly as a reflection, if you like, or as further evidence of the changing position of the United States in the world and the changing conditions of capitalism at home. So I think it's worth taking seriously because of what it will tell us not so much about this principle or that principle. You're right, Brian, that these are usually, uh, you know, veneers for something underneath. That's the hard reality. But for what they tell us about that hard reality. So 
let me try to explain. It used to be an article of faith, not only in the official pronouncements of the government, but in what we teach in our universities, what politicians say, what leaders of industry say on 4th of July when they give speeches or in the documents they release. And that kind of package used to articulate the notion that that government is best that governs least. Or in the words of Ronald Reagan, the government is not the solution to our problems, the government is the problem. And so the idea was an economic capitalist system in which employer and employee is the relationship in the factory, the office, and the store, and the way every factory, office, and store interacts with the public and with one another is by means of a free market. And that the idea there is a market not influenced, affected, controlled, or regulated by the government. So there we have it. Capitalism is private enterprise and free markets, and that these are the best way to serve a population, the best possible economic system, and the United States is its champion around the world, bringing the benefits of private enterprise and free markets to the rest of the world that isn't as far developed as we are because they haven't adopted these principles. Nice story, nicely packaged, endlessly repeated. So what we see in the articles and shifting environment of today is that the political champions, the corporate executive champions, the ideologues in and out of the universities are changing their tune. And it's particularly having to do with markets. Markets, they're beginning to say, and this has been going on for a while, but is really now catching hold, free markets, they say, aren't necessarily all that good. And we need the government to come in and help the market be better than it could or would be if left to itself. And so that's a very big change. And the question is, what's going on? And I would say to you that the evidence shows that for more and more people, and this has been going on for decades, capitalism, the system that calls itself capitalism here in the United States, and that is called capitalism by the politicians, by the corporations, by the academics in general, always with some exceptions, but in general, that that economy just isn't cutting it. And the United States, as a global champion of this system, is likewise not exercising the power in the world that it once did. So it looks increasingly like the recipe private enterprise plus free markets is not anymore making the grade inside the United States and not justifying what the United States is doing around the world as it once did. And I think you're seeing the adjustment in people's heads to what has already become the reality. And let me define that for you. Number one, 
the United States capitalist system is a shrinking part of the world economy. Whether you measure it by our economic growth, the wealth we produce, the role of the dollar in the world, any of those measures, the United States is now a declining global power. Other countries led by the People's Republic of China, but including the BRICS countries, Russia, India, Brazil, and South Africa, and the dozen or so countries that have now applied to join the BRICS, that is an enormous economic block that is already equal to and rapidly becoming a bigger economic block than the United States. And that hasn't been true for the last 75 years. So that's a really big change. The last several wars that the American government has waged in Vietnam, in Afghanistan, in Iraq, in Syria, and I could go on, in almost every case, the United States was defeated in these wars, literally driven out of Vietnam and Afghanistan and reduced to a marginal role even in Iraq. And so the footprint, political, military, and so on, and the war in Ukraine, if you're honest about it, isn't going very well, despite the over $100 billion poured into it. So whether you look in the military or the political or the economic, the United States is not playing the global role it did. And at home, capitalism is having a problem. It has had three significant crashes in the first 20 years of this century. The dot-com crisis in 2000, the subprime mortgage crisis in 2008 and 9, and the so-called COVID-19 crisis in 2020. The last two were the second and third worst crashes of capitalism in its entire multi-century history. This is not going well. If you look at indices like the gap between rich and poor, it has gotten worse and worse without significant interruption for 30 years. The problems of this economy are very severe and they've not been addressed and they've not been solved. Bottom line, whether you look abroad or you look at home, capitalism is in deep trouble and not working well for most people, not the upper 10%. They're happy with it. They control the media, which is why you don't read about the real problems of the American economy very often. And because you don't read about them and because our two political parties can't analyze them because they're in, in bed with the same system, we are resorting to the other way people express themselves. And one of them is to begin to challenge all those ideas about private enterprise and free markets. Because the truth of it is, when the economy has crashed those three times, when the economy is having trouble holding on to its global position, there's one place to which everybody turns to fix it, the government whether it's Mr. Trump waging trade war against China or slapping tariffs on China, or whether it's Trump and Biden sanctioning Cuba, of course, for half a century, but then also Iran and now Russia. We're trying to use governmental tools to offset the decline 
of an economy based on free markets and private enterprise. So, of course, people are beginning to notice what's going on, and they're adjusting. The people who always adjust their thinking to the way the world works, rather than holding up the changes in the world to some standard of what's good and what isn't. So, yeah, all those former champions of private enterprise and free markets are now showing leakage. More and more of them are saying, no, 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 no. Capitalism has a good and important place for the government. We should celebrate the government. We should bring the government in sooner rather than later to fix and offset the problems of the private sector. The arguments of Reagan, the arguments of the traditional free marketeers are being pushed aside, discarded, criticized, and in favor of a great new, here we go, capitalism in which the government and the private sector are partners and recognized as such. My last point would be, of course, it was always true that capitalism needed and relied on the government. But they needed to limit what the government could do at the same time because we have what's called universal suffrage. Everybody gets to vote. And everybody means that the 90% of the people who are employees are the majority. And they could vote into the state, the politicians, and the policies that could threaten private enterprises and the economy they produce. So to keep that risk at bay, they denounced the government, it is the problem, blah, blah, blah. But now that they are desperately indeed themselves, they're going to bring the government in, but you can bet it will be brought in to help serve, support capitalism and not to be an agency for the mass of the people. So the basic problem of the exclusion of the majority working class from the power they ought to have will continue. So, Richard, we have a situation where, you know, we're able to observe this, you know, change in the way the right wing is presenting. And it's not just the right wing. When I, Maybe the better way to put it is the right wing in the United States has basically the Democratic Party is a right wing party, but it's a center right party. And then you have the Republican Party, which is more of a far right party. And both parties have been embracing globalization and the free market and free trade. That's been sort of the mantra, especially for the past three decades, even a little bit more than three decades. And as you're saying, from a mythological point of view, what America tells itself and tells the world about itself, one of the myths that's been presented is that the United States, by embodying the sort of pure capitalism, the capitalism of the free market has risen to the top of the heap, that the accumulation of all of this wealth is a consequence of the the embrace of these free market principles, ignoring the fact that the bigger part of the labor market in the United States in many parts of the country for the first couple hundred years of nascent capitalism was enslaved people. The working class was enslaved. And then the theft and, and transfer of natural wealth from the indigenous inhabitants of the United States to the new ruling class, the new bourgeoisie, and to some other sectors of society as well. I mean, that is the real origin of accumulated wealth in the United States. But this idea of the free market has been dominant for a long time, but then really dominant the last 30 years. 
Now I'm looking at Insider website. One of the most important conservative think tanks is changing its tune on the free market and state power to keep up with the, quote, new right, close quote, ushered in by Trump and DeSantis. I want to read a little bit to you from the article. Conservatism used to be synonymous with free markets, maybe not for much longer. The Heritage Foundation, a conservative think tank known for its pro-business allegiances, released a report Tuesday written by Alexander Salter, an economist at Texas Tech University, flirting with whether the U.S. government should protect workers from free markets. Conservatives have long argued that the government should not tax, regulate, or subsidize industry because consumers are better off when companies are forced to compete for their dollars, et cetera, et cetera. Then it goes on about the the downside of globalization. Well, there's different elements of this that are just historically untrue. The military-industrial complex, Richard, as you and I have talked about, and I know you've written and spoken about it at length in different places— The military-industrial complex is a form of government intervention as a subsidy for a big sector of the capitalist class, the ones that the capitalist class that makes weapons. Then you have other organizations that are used by the U.S. government in order to make sure that the U.S. corporations are on more than a level playing field, are basically given an advantage over its rivals. There's something called the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States, an interagency committee authorized to review transactions involving foreign investments in the United States and real estate transactions by foreign persons or governments. So a lot of times these investments are just nullified by the U.S. government. And then you have this additional element. The point that you're making is that in these last three economic crises, the last two of which, as you've said, are the greatest two out of three that the capitalist system and the capitalist class has suffered over many centuries, without the U.S. government intervening in 2020, not to mention 2008 and nine. Capitalism would have been basically vanquished as a social system. I mean, certainly the capitalist class would have been deprived of credit in 2008 and 9. The whole bottom would have fallen out without the U.S. government. So here's this myths and facts, what the U.S. tells itself and tells the world about itself. And yet at the same time, there is this perceptible, now explicit change taking place where even the right wing is acknowledging that without the U.S. government, American capitalists just aren't going to make it. Yeah, and I think that's a very, very profound shift in ideology. People are feeling the ability to criticize the corporation as an institution, profit-making as the dominant objective of of decision-making about resources and workers and all the rest. These are fundamental critiques of the system. These are not calls for a a reform here, a regulation there, a new law at this point. These are going to the core structures of the society. And I think it's also important to make it clear that, yeah, it's now happening on the right, but it has been happening now for at least a decade on the left in the United States. And let me point to other signs that show you that this is going on. I'll pick something from yesterday's news, because among the things that explained the decision by Fox News to fire Tucker Carlson was the fact that he, 
in his more recent broadcasts, has included a considerable element of critique of the capitalist economic system. Oh, he doesn't say it in so many words, but it's very easy to see that he's dissatisfied with the way the economy is going. And especially if you put aside the, the clear Republican and anti-Biden tone of everything, it runs deeper than that. And among the many reasons that he got fired, my suspicion is that's another one. And I think if you look a few days earlier, the New York Times carried an editorial or a, an op-ed piece by David Brooks whining, because that's the only honest way to describe the tone, whining, why are people dissatisfied with capitalism these days? And then he puts a, you know, a conventional gloss on the things about capitalism you can say that are good. And let me remind everyone, every economy at every moment has a mixture of data that suggests good sides of it and data that suggests bad. You don't make a judgment looking at one or the other. That's the mentality that goes into advertising. They hype the good and deny the bad. But a rational human being and a rational political discussion is about weighing the two and coming up with a composite judgment that takes them both into account. If you do that, more and more people are finding capitalism wanting. They don't agree on exactly why, and they don't agree on exactly where to go next. But the dissatisfaction with capitalism is very profound now and growing really quickly. And that's what you're seeing when even an old, stodgy think tank, which is certainly what the Heritage Foundation has been and is, even they have to put a report out that says, gee, an awful lot of us are now denying the notion that the best thing since sliced bread is free markets and private enterprise. We now see a big fat role for the government. That used to be an absolute taboo in these circles. Now you see the conservative rights splitting. Those who still want to hold on, often calling themselves things like traditionalists or even libertarians versus those who are really more in tune with the reality which has become a capitalism having such troubles that it turns more and more to the government. And by the way, just a footnote for those of you interested in history. The first 500 years of European feudalism was a highly decentered system with little in the way of states. As feudalism crumbles, its final centuries see it more and more coalescing into a hierarchical society, not spread out with independent little feudal manors, but now under a situation where one of the feudal manors gets big enough at the expense of the others. And by the way, if you want to understand the struggle among rising feudal lords fighting it out one against the other until one becomes dominant, that's what most of the plays of Shakespeare are about those struggles between those lords and dukes and earls, and they ended up with one on top, and that was called the king. 
And that king accumulated power until he was the absolute monarch that we associate with people like George III at the time of the American Revolution or Louis XIV or Louis XVI at the time of the French Revolutions and so on. And we're now watching this same shift from a decentralized free market of competing capitalists into what? The dominance of a couple of thousand mega corporations merging slowly but steadily with the state because they need it because they otherwise wouldn't survive like the feudal lords accepted the king because they feared that otherwise without that concentrated power they might not survive. We are in that time of capitalism and that's part of its long-term decline. Richard, last point. I'm looking at the Libertarian Institute, one of the right-wing currents among the right-wing and certainly within the Republican Party. Here's what it says. And obviously, people have to sort of think about this with inflection and subtle meaning here because they're being sarcastic. But here it is. Capitalism creates poverty. Capitalism has stolen our future. Capitalism ravages the planet. Capitalism oppresses us. Capitalism needs to be controlled by government or it will throw most of us into poverty and misery and enrich only the well-placed few. These are not the missives from the nation or the daily worker. I guess the Libertarian Institute doesn't know that the daily worker went out of production 50 years ago. They're not the missives of the nation or the daily worker, although no doubt the writers from those publications would share those sentiments. No, these diatribes against the market economy come from the American conservative. And then there's a big picture of Tucker Carlson at the top. So the Libertarians are the anti-government wing of the right wing. They're saying government is the problem. And in some cases, on some social issues, the libertarians are actually better than the other parts of the far right, which are you know, committed to eliminating voting rights for black people and committed to eviscerating abortion rights, eviscerating the rights and advances that have been made by the LGBTQ community. Anyway, these sort of differences are playing themselves out. But here's the point that the libertarians are making is that capitalism is by itself in its pure form like the embodiment of right-wing values, and they're condemning these other right-wingers who are now insisting that the government must play a role. And I want to make it clear for our audience that right-wing, the way we're talking about the right-wing is somewhat American-centric, because the right-wing in Europe, Richard, as you well know, uh, the right-wing in Europe, say, in the 1930s, including Adolf Hitler and the fascist movement, they were also making the argument that capitalism was an evil system, that the bankers were evil, especially those Jewish bankers, and especially anyone who was a foreigner. So there was this kind of xenophobia, racism, and especially anti-Semitic element of their anti-capitalism. And the Nazis called themselves a socialist party because in order to even have credibility 
in Europe, there was so much anti-capitalist sentiment from the people that in order to have credibility, you had to adopt some of that rhetoric. But just because the right wing or parts of the right wing are becoming more, quote, pro-government doesn't mean that they're not right wing. It doesn't mean that they're not racist. It doesn't mean that they're not anti-immigrant. In fact, it doesn't mean that at all. So we have to like this is the weird part of politics in America is that Right and left are defined by certain things. Like if you're a leftist, you're for health care for all. And if you're a right wing, you're absolutely against Medicare for all. But in Europe, for instance, the right and the left are not fighting about those things. That's not the issue. Anyway, let's just bring some clarity as we start to wrap up, because this is obviously going to be an ongoing discussion because these trends are not going to go away. Yeah, I think you bringing up Europe and history a little bit is a good way to end this in hope of clarifying. Here's how I would do it. In Europe, whether you look at Mussolini in Italy or Adolf Hitler in Germany or Francisco Franco in Spain, in each of those cases, the capitalists, the employer class in the country turned to the government and more than that, turned to a close partnership with the government which we call fascism. And it was done for a particular reason with the same in the old three countries, that the capitalists were threatened by the left, by socialist and communist parties, either separately or working together. That is certainly the story in Germany because the socialists and communists together were picking up more than half the vote in the country in the two years just before Hitler arrives. Mussolini arrives as the rise of the socialist movement in Italy, of which Mussolini was also a part early in his life, was becoming powerful under the leadership particularly of Antonio Gramsci and threatened the whole capitalist class. In Spain, you had to have the right-wing revolt against the leftist government that was elected to power, the loyalist government in Spain. So in each case, it was the left power that provoked the capitalists to bring into relationship with the state and what we call fascism. The difference in the United States is that the left is remarkably weak right now, that it is not the left that threatens capitalists in this country. If anything, it's much more the right, as we saw at the events at the Capitol, and as we see with the rise of the Trump and DeSantis kind of mentality in the Republican Party. So that's a very big difference here in the United States, that you're bringing the government and the capitalists closer together. And that's a more powerful move in the direction of fascism than anything else that I see. But their difference is it's provoked by the internal problems of capitalism and the critique of the system coming from the right more than it is provoked by the left. And I think that will shape how this evolves in a way different from what happened in Europe. And certainly from our point of view, from the point of view of the socialist program, and what we could see clearly with the you know, both with the Bernie Sanders campaign, the Occupy movement, the movement for black lives, the uprising in 2020. There is this latent power of genuinely left, genuinely progressive forces that have not had an outlet. But the situation as these contradictions in capitalism grow, Richard, 
as the intensification of internal struggles within the system, within the ruling class, among right-wing forces, space opens for the left. But the left won't get there by waiting for the absolute you know, perfect moment. The left has to organize, mobilize, and fight, which, of course, is the point of our show. Richard Wolff is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work. He's the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System, When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. Be sure to check out all of his work at rdwolf.com. That's R-D-W-O-L-F-F.com. You're listening to The Socialist Program. We will be back tomorrow. You've been listening to The Socialist Program with Brian Becker, where we bring you news and views about the world for those who want to change it. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and watch video episodes of our in-depth show, The Real Story, every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on YouTube with our partner, Breakthrough News. We can only continue our work bringing you high-quality news, analysis, and history with the support of our listeners. Connect with us and become a patron at patreon.com slash the socialist program and receive an invitation to participate in an exclusive monthly seminar with Brian Becker. Thank you.